Hello and welcome to The Pilgrim Way. My name is Norman Graham and I'm a minister in the Baptist Union of Churches uh, in Scotland. The aim of these uh, signposts is uh, simply to signpost, to direct people to the Word of God, uh, to help them understand uh, what it might mean for us today. Uh, please feel free to subscribe and to click on the bell next to that and uh, get notifications of future episodes. Thank you for listening today. Revelation chapter 4 Then, as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the Spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven, and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. And the glowing the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder, and in front of the throne were seven torches which with burning flames, this is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. In the centre and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox, the third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they, kept, they keep on saying, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honour and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever and they lay their crowns before the throne and say you are worthy O Lord our God to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased
Well, in our previous signpost, we noted that from this point forward in the letter uh, of Revelation, the throne of God becomes the primary central focus, the dominant theme. Uh, the throne is mentioned at least uh, 38 times directly and alluded to many more times. As the focus shifts from what's happening uh, in the churches uh, in Asia Minor to what is happening uh, in the throne room of God, what is happening uh, from the throne, uh, what is announced from the throne. Uh, we also noted that the significance that this vision comes uh, right after uh, Jesus' messages to all the churches. Uh, for in those uh, messages, uh, he promised that those who overcame uh, would uh, sit with him on the throne of God. And now a door is opened in heaven and they see that very throne that they have been promised. It was a potent visual reminder that the real power of the universe lay not with the emperor in Rome, but with God. And that the flow of history is in his hands and not uh, Caesar's. And the certainty of that would have been a comfort to those congregations in the midst of the trials that they were facing. Uh, and an encouragement to them to remain faithful despite those trials. But having kind of th thought about how the throne, the fact that there is a throne, is very significant and would have been a great encouragement, uh, today I want to kind of begin to reflect a little bit about what is happening on the throne, from the throne, behind the throne and around the throne. A door is opened in heaven and John looks through it and the first thing he sees is that throne. Uh, and that, as we've noted, that would be a great encouragement to the believers, uh, hard pressed as they were in Asia Minor. Uh, but the fact that it was occupied was what was really important. For many people, even if they admit that there might indeed be a throne in heaven, imagine it to be vacant. God is often portrayed by critics as an absentee landlord who, having set the universe in motion, then has removed himself from it and doesn't involve himself in the affairs of humanity. Uh, he has occasionally, so the theory goes, intervened in very special circumstances, but that was all so very, very long ago. And now we're really on our own. We are the masters now of our own fate. And you can kind of understand why people would have that perspective. We know all too well that life is filled with injustice and oppression, with sorrow and suffering. It's no accident that one of the most common cries in the Psalms is, How long, O Lord? It's not difficult to imagine why people might think that if God does exist, then he either doesn't care about us, or he is powerless, or he's unwilling to help in our situation, uh, or else he's gone off somewhere else and left us to get on with it. And in that intervening time, uh, the forces of evil have taken over the universe in his absence. You can understand why people would hold that view when all too often life does not play out according to the script that we have written for ourselves. 
The script playing out in the first century churches of Asia Minor was certainly not one of their own choosing. They were going through really tough times. For over 50 years, with only a few exceptions, most persecution against the church had been local and sporadic. But Rome was becoming increasingly hostile to the church and a wave of state-sponsored persecution was beginning under the reign of Emperor Domitian. And that would result in at least 40,000 Christians being executed, including Paul's co-worker, Timothy, the Bishop of Ephesus. That state-sponsored persecution would continue uh, after Domitian's reign. And in fact, in 155 AD, Polycarp, the Bishop of Smyrna, would be executed. From a human perspective, it certainly looked like the power lay with Rome. And so these believers needed a revelation from God to shift their perspective. And so from this point forward, world events, the flow of history in our daily lives will be viewed in Revelation from the perspective of the throne room of God. As G.K. Beale notes, part of the pastoral purpose of chapters 4 and 5 is that suffering Christians will be assured that God and Jesus are sovereign and that the events which they are facing are part of the sovereign plan which will culminate in their redemption and the vindication of their faith through the punishment of their persecutors. So, a door is opened in heaven. Through that door we see a throne. But an empty throne is just a chair, for the real power lies not with the throne itself, but with the one who occupies it. And thankfully the first thing John says about the throne is that it is occupied, for he sees someone sitting on it, and he describes that someone in a variety of ways. There's a well-known story of a boy who was drawing a picture and his mother asked him, you know, son, what is it you're drawing? And he said, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she says to him, but no one knows what God looks like. To which he replied, well, they will when I'm finished. In Revelation 4 and 5, John is trying to paint us a word picture to show us what God is like, what he looks like. Firstly, he says that the one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. The most important word in that sentence, of course, is the word like. It alerts us to the fact that John is trying to find words that describe the indescribable. And the closest that he can get to is Jasper and Carnelian, also known as Sardius. He's not saying that God is Jasper and Carnelian, but he is like them. In Revelation 22, the vision of New Jerusalem, which reflects the glory of God, also has elements of Jasper and Carnelian in that vision too. As Coster notes, Jasper referred to precious stones that ranged from green to blue, from purple to rose. Whilst Carnelian was a reddish stone that suggests that God's presence had a kind of fiery radiance about it. Interestingly, uh, in uh, both Daniel and Ezekiel's visions of God on the throne also include uh, images of fiery brilliance. And in fact, John's description of the throne room picks up details from uh, found in Isaiah 6, Daniel 7 and Ezekiel 1. 
The worship around the throne picks up themes from 1 Chronicles 16, Psalms 29, 59, 66, 86 and Psalm 146. It's yet another reminder that Revelation is not really telling us anything new. It isn't telling us anything that we haven't already been told. Everything it says has been revealed in the previous books of the Bible. Rather, Revelation is simply telling us those things in a new and dynamic way. The emerald-like rainbow around the throne serves to accentuate the impression of the brilliant radiance of the one who sits upon it. As Beale notes, together these three precious stones collectively represent God's sovereign majesty and glory. The rainbow around the throne also speaks of God's mercy as in the days of Noah and suggests that even as God's judgments unfold, he will be gracious to his true people. Secondly, John tells us that the living creatures around the throne call the one seated on it the Lord God Almighty. The Greek word that John uses is pantocrates. It is one of his favourite words to describe God. He uses it nine times in Revelation and it means uh, the Almighty or All-Powerful. It's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew phrase translated in the First Testament as Lord of Hosts. Christ Pantocrator is the most important icon in the Orthodox tradition. And as the name suggests, it emphasises Christ's omnipotence. Jesus is the ruler of all, the creator who sustains all things by his power. It has been painted the same way for almost 2,000 years. With long brown hair and a beard, Jesus looks out from the icon wearing the cloak of a scholar, for he is the embodiment of wisdom. Holding a book in his left hand, which represents the gospel, his right hand is making a gesture which, according to kind of ancient rhetorical practices, is a suggestion that he is about to say something really important. Uh, it's also a gesture, that, gesture that's used in the Orthodox tradition when performing a blessing. Byzantine churches were designed on the same lines as the Roman Basilica. The king's chamber for holding court uh, was, was the basilica. It was that, that, that uh, in, in the apse in the basilica. Um, so Christ uh, is painted as Pantocrator in the apse because that's the place where the most powerful official or judge sat. Christ Pantocrator is always painted there to show that Jesus is the all-powerful ruler and ultimate judge over all creation. John's word painting is telling us that the one who sits on the throne in heaven is dazzling beyond description and that he has all might and all power. In fact, there is no other force or power in the universe that can overcome him or thwart his will. He is the final authority. He is Christ Pantocrator, the all-powerful one. Revelation 4 and 5 are a kind of introduction to the, the revelation of God's judgments that will unfold in the following chapters. His judgments on the world and the forces of evil, the principalities and the powers. And so, as Keener suggests, they summon us to a heavenly perspective that reminds us of who is in charge. In our culture, 
there's a, a kind of common saying to the effect that a person can be so heavenly minded that they're no earthly use. But in fact, the very opposite is true. All too often, we slide into idolatry and compromise. We experience despair and hopelessness, or we live in fear for our present or fear for the future, precisely because we are too earthly minded. In practical terms, we buy into the philosophy that this material world is all there is. John wants us to be more heavenly minded. He wants us to look down and look up, sorry, look up into the throne room of God and begin to see our lives and all that is happening to us and around us from that heavenly perspective. The more we understand that there is a throne and that the one who sits on it is the almighty, the all-powerful one, then the less fearful we become. And the more our lives are marked by boldness and faith. In fact, the more we focus on the heavenly realities that are revealed in these chapters, then the more our daily lives will be shaped by them to the glory of God. That vision, that understanding, that reflecting on these heavenly realities uh, will uh, shape how we speak. Uh, what we do, how we live out our lives in that the muck and mess of everyday life. The Apostle Paul says the same thing in Colossians 3 verses 1 to 17. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, he says, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Paul then goes on in that passage to speak about the impact that this focus will have on our behaviour, on all our interpersonal relationships, calling disciples to get rid of sinful behaviour. And he says to them to put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. It is an amazing picture of what our lives should look like, what they could look like. Please take time to read the whole passage, but note this important point, that a changed life, a transformed life, and therefore a transformed world, come from believers being heavenly minded. When we are heavenly minded, we are of the greatest earthly use. Lastly, John tells us that the one who sits on the throne is worthy of all worship and praise. The four creatures and the 24 elders sing and, and the one on the throne, throne is both the object and the subject of their worship. We'll come back to this in greater detail in a future signpost as we work through Revelation 5. But for now, I just want to note a few things. The 24 elders sing of the worthiness of God to receive glory and power because he is the creator of all that exists. Every star, every planet, every bit of cosmic dust, the Higgs boson field and whatever is beyond that, he made it all. 
But he is the, the creator. He is the all-powerful one. All of that creation continues to exist because he wills it. There is not an atom in the universe that exists for any reason other than the fact that Christ wills it. Their, their song in Revelation 4 is in some ways an echo of the great hymn of Christ that Paul quotes in Colossians 1 and 15 to 17. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see such as thrones, kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. As we'll see when we get to the end of Revelation, because he is the one who called creation into being and who holds it together, he is also the one who calls the new creation into being. And so he declares in Revelation 21 and 5, Look, I am making everything new. The living creatures around the throne add to the description of God, calling him holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. Some people think that threefold repetition of holy points to the Trinitarian nature of God, but that's not very likely. Rather, it's simply expressing uh, the fundamental attribute of God, his holy otherness. But it also redirects the reader back to Isaiah 6 and Isaiah's vision of God in the temple. When confronted with the holiness of God, Isaiah knew that he was doomed because he was a sinful man. And so this also speaks of the merciful character of God. For Isaiah's sin was taken away so that he might live to worship and serve God. For unholiness cannot exist in the holy presence of God. We have to be made holy and Jesus is the way that we are made holy. The living creatures also describe God as the one who was and is and is to come. You know, in my lifetime, so many people who were household names have come and gone. The balance of geopolitical power has shifted back and forth. Global economics has shifted to the east. Issues that were a matter of life and death are no longer even discussed. Life is constantly in flux with comings and goings. The only real constant in the universe is the one who sits on the throne. He was... He is, and he is to come. And he is the one that therefore we must put our trust in because everything else around us is going to pass away. All your riches, all that you've collected in your life, all the things that you seek after and your own self will turn to dust. God alone remains constant. He was, he is, and he is to come. Notice that the result of all of this uh, worship is as the living creatures and the elders give glory and praise to God. 
when we reflect on the heavenly realities and the primary reality of the holy, all-powerful one who sits on the throne, we are left standing in awe and worship at the majestic glory of God. It's the only appropriate response. And as Keener puts it, when we do that, when we focus on those heavenly realities and the reality of God on the throne and who he is, all other competing claims for affection and attention recede into their rightful place. And we know God alone is God and he alone merits first place. Beyond every other love, every other anxiety and every other fear that consumes us. Focus on the heavenly realities and especially the reality of the one who sits on the throne. And you will find not only that your life becomes of great earthly use, but you will find in that the meaning and purpose that we all so desperately long for. And we'll find that we no longer need to live in fear and anxiety and worry. Because Christ Pantocratus, the all-powerful one, sits on the throne. May God bless you in the week ahead and thank you for listening today.